Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Welcome back, everyone, to the Aspire Podcast, and I can't wait to jump on with Dennis Matthew, who is our guest this week, and he's going to be talking about social-emotional learning, trauma-informed practices, growth mindset, and social skills. He's an amazing educator and author, and Dennis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, man, I've heard a lot of great things about you, and I've uh, admired what you're doing via your podcast from a distance, and I've had me on the on the Stamper Mobile. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, you're going to provide some great value, and I know that. So before we dive into all those wonderful topics that I talked about earlier, will you just share a little bit about your educational journey? Yeah, so I uh, came to the U.S. in 2000 to pursue uh, my college education. I came from the United Arab Emirates and came directly to Edmond, Oklahoma to go to the University of Central Oklahoma. And I was there for about seven years to get my bachelor's and my master's in speech pathology and started working in 2007 as an elementary school speech pathologist. Uh, this next school year will be my 15th year. I've been doing speech pathology for coming up on a decade and a half, so I, I can't believe time has gone by so fast, <laughs> which means I'm getting old. So <laughs> No, that means you're seasoned. You're a seasoned veteran. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Vet- I, got, I think I can officially say I'm a veteran speech pathologist. There so. you go. So for those who may not know that position, because I know, you know, in the state of Texas, that looks very different than in other states. What is the role of a speech pathologist? Yeah, so the role of a speech pathologist is to intervene where there is a breakdown in speech, language, social skills with, with our with our children. And so, you know, I'm the interventionist, so to speak, where I, if there are speech or language deficits, weaknesses that are starting to affect the ac- academic life of a student, that's where the speech pathologist comes in. And ultimately, to distill what I do, and this kind of ties into being an author and why writing is important to me. At the end of the day, I feel like for the last 15 years, I've been helping students find their voice, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's being able to speak clearly. I mean, you'd be surprised how much uh, it affects the self-confidence, the self-esteem of children when they're not able to accurately, clearly explain their thoughts uh, or even be able to accurately uh, speak speak clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of those children that carry a lot of gifts, a lot of purpose, a lot of dreams and ideas within them because of their self-consciousness, they kind of, you know, instead of blooming and blossoming, they kind of uh, close up. And so my job, I feel like, and this is really oversimplifying it, but I feel like as a speech pathologist, what I do is I, I enable those children to come out of their shells, so to speak, and, and be confident, be great in spite of whatever obstacles or challenges they may have to work on. And, and uh, I'm, I ultimately see myself as a confidence builder. I, I really believe in building confidence in children, even as they work on whatever speech or language uh, skills that they need to be improving. So I love what you said, because it's often as an educator, we see students have low self-esteem and what comes out of that is negative behaviors or um, being closed-minded to certain things. So what are some strategies you use within maybe your social skills or social emotional learning to help those students gain more self-esteem? 
So I would say first is, you know, getting to know the child, making sure the child understands that Mr. Matthew sees them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big believer believer in connection before content. You know, first making sure you take the time to connect with the student before you kind of push, you know, your academic agenda on them. And um, I'm a big believer in relationship between before rigor. Getting to know the child is, I feel, more than half of the battle of, of convincing a student or, or communicating the student, hey, I see you as a child. I see you as an individual, as a person, your background, your story. I honor your story. I honor your family of origin. You know, aside from all the goals and, and targets that we need to be hitting academically, you as a person matter. And so getting to know the person, their first name, their last name, their families, right? Um, I think that's a big uh, step in in the right direction in helping build a child's self-confidence and self-esteem. Um, I mean, my students will tell you that I'm the first one that's, you know, when anytime they I see them in the hallway, I am beyond excited with the big wave and good morning, good to see you, you know, like regardless of how old they are, pre-K through fifth grade. But in not saying so much, you let that student know with your energy, your, your you know, how excited you are to see them that they matter. Uh, and so when they enter that into my room to work on their skills, my room is then an extension of me, which then becomes a safe space for them to uh, take a risk. They're not afraid to fail in my room. If they do fail, they then realize, hey, I just gotta keep working on whatever I need to be working on and uh, Mr. Matthew's here to help me. So that's one big way in which I help build self-esteem, help build confidence, uh, help them in their social emotional learning and overcome challenges along the way. And I love the piece that you talked about failure because that's obviously going to occur, especially in your role where you're working on a deficiency with their speech. So when those students are practicing and they're failing, what are some things that you do to instill some growth mindset? I often tie it into things that I'm working on as as a grown-up adult, things that I'm working on as a husband, a father, an educator, an author, and speaking of language skills, because that's a big part of my domain, being a language, a speech language therapist, I often, I mean, my in my building, most students know that I'm a published author. When a published author in your building is also your speech therapist, like that, you know, children can be like, oh my gosh, you must be like some savant in, in uh, <laughs> language acquisition and comprehension. I have to, often have to tell them, you won't believe the number of mistakes I make. You would think that when I wrote a story, I had it done in take one, take two. Oh, you would not you would not believe how many times Mr. Matthew had to start this story over. Or the the best question I get from students is Mr. Matthew is writing hard for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I often tell them I really to be very honest with you, writing is one of my least favorite things. However, I know these amazing stories live in my head, and the only way I can get those stories out is by doing the hard thing of exercising my writing muscles. So, you know, I tell them, you know, boys and girls, there are authors out there who can just sit and write eight to ten pages, and good for them, but that's not Mr. Matthew. Mr. Matthew writes because he wants to bring these amazing stories to life, and so Mr. Matthew has a creative imagination, but if he did not write, that imagination would just kind of live in his mind. So he has to exercise his writing muscles, keep working at it, keep working at it to become a better author. In that same way, you are here because you are, um, you know, to keep working on whatever skill we are here working together. So a lot of times when they encounter failure, I always insert myself into that narrative, talking about the many times in which I have failed 
and I had to persist. And that's true to this day. So I always try to make sure that I am relatable to my students, even though I'm 39 this week. I always tell them, listen, you're nine years old. I'm 30 years older than you, but I am also a student in many areas. And so when when you kind of condense it like that or, or convert the narrative to a framework that is understandable for these little minds, so to speak, there is a, you know, they feel like they can just exhale and just work. And a failure does not mean that the relationship is affected in any way. I may fail at a task, but we're still good. Right. And we can go on to working. And, and I often am a big believer in work hard and play hard too. So in my room, when students come, we do lots of fun things. Uh, and so you're not there to like, you know, if you're there in my room for 30 minutes, you're not, you know, working super hard for 30 minutes. You might be, you might work for 15 minutes, but, or even 10 minutes, but there's a lot of play that happens. I'm a big believer in play uh, and the language that I can facilitate, the articulation skills that I can strengthen during play. Uh, so I'm a big believer in, in not being confined to a table and just, you know, working on cards or looking at paperwork. We might do some sit at the table work, but then we are up and we're playing some kind of a game. And as we play and as we're having fun, I'm inserting my targets and skills into those activities. So because, man, ed- education has to be fun. I'm a big believer in just being silly, having tons of fun and still learning. And so... That happens a lot in my room, which is why kids love coming to my room. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's how, that's how I try to facilitate learning in the room. Let's talk about the social skills aspect, right? Because you talked about not only you're working on speech, but you're working on other skills that may be a deficiency in the student. So what are some things that you're trying to focus on that are essential skills that are going to benefit them long term? I would say uh, conflict resolution is big. Uh, problem solving is big being able to follow directions in not just the classroom, not just in areas that tie hard to academics, but on the playground and in the cafeteria, in those like in between spaces, right? In specials, when when you're supposed to be having fun, you're also supposed to be exercising your social skills. So, you know, Johnny, if you're on the playground, I mean, there are often times where I will be on the playground with students because there are instances where a child does not know to ask, can I have a turn on getting on the swing or will you please come play with me? And so being there to facilitate those, these little, you know, give those gentle nudges, if you will, uh, help them ask those important questions that really matter to the children. Can I, can I have a turn? Can I play with you? Right. So helping them as far as social skills are concerned, um, helping them in, in those everyday challenges they may face. Now, beyond that, obviously, uh, when therapy is happening, there are a lot of times where social skills come into play, uh, and that might be turn-taking during a group discussion, it might be eye contact, it might be staying on topic. So there there are social skills that are more tied to academics, Mm -hmm. right, or group Mm -hmm. interaction on a project maybe, and then there are just social social skills that come into play when a child is just having fun, and they don't know how to ask for the Lego and what they do is they might snatch it. Uh, And then that becomes uh, an issue of conflict, but getting in there and like, you know, diffusing that fire and just saying, Joe, now do you know how to ask Mary, may I have a turn, right? And so helping students with the social skills that help them have fun in like everyday settings. Mm -hmm. 
class. That's one thing I definitely love doing. And for that instance, a lot of times I'm in the classroom as students are having play. And I try to insert myself as a speech therapist into settings of play to facilitate those everyday social skill questions and answers. So let's talk about the fact that you're a leader on the campus, because I know you are based on the conversations that we've had. So for those who are listening that uh, may not be in an official leadership position, what are some ways that they can make a positive effect on their campus or within their district tomorrow or the next week? Yeah, I'm a big believer in leading the one, uh, leading the one that's right in front of you. And for me, leadership, it was for a long time about the badge on your shirt or the letter that the letters after your name. Leadership ultimately is about influence. And so if you can influence somebody, what you positively influence somebody, what you're doing is essentially leading them. All teachers are leaders because we are called to make positive influence. And so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in leading the one that's sitting right in front of you. And so, and, and this is a term that's not thrown around a lot in the leadership, leadership world, at least I don't hear it, but I'm a big believer in discipleship. Yeah. What that means is replicating who you are in the ones that you're leading. To disciple somebody, we have to be in a position where we are able to impart you know, who we have or what we have to the ones that are sitting in front of you. So, you know, the other day I was preparing for a speaking engagement and the thought that I had in my mind is as educators, we're not there simply to inform, but we are there to impart. We're not there just to give directions, but we're there to disciple, right? The only way you can impart or give a part of you to somebody for their benefit is if you and I have something to give. Right. And so so leadership for me is leading the one. It's about imparting what we have to the one that's in front of us. And I know this is this is not part of your question, but we talk a lot about self-care. Right. I'm going to just insert that a little bit in here. The only way we can impart or give what we have to someone that needs it is if we if we are full to capacity, if we are running empty, then we have nothing to give to somebody who is in more need. Right. So. And this has been really encouraging to see, especially this summer, a lot of educators intentionally, consciously taking time to fill their own buckets, right? So leadership to me is not necessarily standing in front of thousands or hundreds. It very well could be all of those things. But leadership can be, to me, first and foremost, it's it's about having positive influence on the one that is sitting right in front of you, being intentional about the leadership moment that that presents itself every day. And the only way we can pour into that one person that's in front of us is if we have made sure that we are full ourselves, right? Taking the time to rest, recalibrate, rejuvenate, pause, all of those things are important. So discipling, I think, are two important facets of leadership as it, as it pertains to me. And imparting what I have, especially in, in relation to character development, making sure that our boys and girls, as they leave my room, that they're not way, way more than working on their sounds and making their language skills stronger. It's so important for me that they walk out of my room as better people. You know, in, in those scenarios of conflict resolution that I talked about, when you make a mistake, not just saying sorry, but asking for forgiveness and giving them the language to say, Johnny, where I was wrong is when I did this and I should not have done that. But enabling a child with you know weaknesses in the area of language development, giving them that language to talk to the other person. Right. So that's that's how I focus on character development or imparting impartation, if you will, and making sure that when they walk out of my room, they have been coached to become better people. 
you know, the skills and the strengths that we work on, after we have reached the level of mastery, what then? Right. Are we able to then replicate more of what we have mastered in others, right? And when a door opens for you, you hold it open for the person coming behind you so that they have to work less at what you had to work super hard at. So it's, it's very important for me, and it, I think it should be important for all leaders to, to make sure that if they feel like they're doing well at something, to have more, more of them out there, like replicated versions of, of that, whatever mastery you have achieved, yep. so that the world can become a better place uh, when we divide and conquer, so to speak. That's what leadership means to me. It's not this hierarchy, I'm the leader, I'm on top, and I talk down to you. It's, it's more about we are all called to leadership in our roles, and we lead together. When the pack moves forward, we all move forward. That's my approach to leadership. And leadership also is about empowering individuals to make the positive difference they can in their role. Not every problem has to be solved by the person at the top, so to speak. Everybody has the ability or the power to create solutions in their respective roles, right? All of us have creative genius within us in, in different forms. And so what does that look like? What is, what is me being a leader in my community, in my neck of the woods, in my zip code look like? Um, that's that's how I think of leadership as as being as being able to empower, disciple, impart, and uh, influence. Yep. So, so Dennis, you brought up in that answer about self care, and I'll be honest. In the past year, I find that educators in their responses that's kind of like a thread that has been connected. And I just want to know for you, you know, you come every single day to the classroom, to your building with so much energy, like you said, you know, energetic with the kids in the hallways, greeting them, trying to build relationships with them. So what are some self-care practices that you use in your own life to help you to be that disciple, that mentor, that influencer on your campus? Yeah, so not to be religious, but one of my personal practices is prayer. I think prayer centers me and for people that practice meditation, mm -hmm. same deal. Reading centers me and, and slows me down, calms me down, I think. I, I, I said the word calm me down intentionally because, you know, the minute I wake up, the agenda for the day is just downloaded into my psyche, right? But I've been better, especially over the summer, about, man, the second I wake up and I pull the covers off, I ask myself, like, I have this, like, mini slow conversation to myself. Okay, what time is it? Where are you? What day is it? What are you doing in this moment, right? Bringing my mind to present, present reality. Um, so like being present is so super important. Like, and I, I mentioned this to Brad when I was on his podcast too. Like when I'm with you, I'm with you. Like you get 150% of me. That's been something that I've really been trying to like become a better student of. And, and I'm, I've got to give credit to my wife for this because my, my my default mode is you know somewhere along the way I convince myself that I that I can multitask I can um, so you know as as Josh is talking to me uh huh yeah Josh okay all right okay but then my mind's thinking about okay we're gonna have steak for dinner and the the games on Sunday right my wife has just been an amazing blessing to me in that she has taught me to be right here with me right and I think I've uh, I'm, I'm starting to you know, become better at it, you know, not, not in mastery yet, but I would say I'm at that point where when she talks to me about work, I put everything away. And I'm just like, all right, tell me about work. How was it? And not like a, 
you know, being mechanical, but intentional and, and intuitive. So those things allow me to like keep track, almost take these mental photographic images of what is happening in these moments, right? Um, otherwise, I feel like the old me was just, and I still deal with this every so often, just going through the motions. And at the end of the day, when someone asks you, what'd you do today? You know, I, I was, I, I used to struggle with like recapping what I did because it was just one thing to the next to the next. And so one thing as far as self-care goes is, is really just centering ourselves and really, where am I right now? What am I doing right now? Can I be mentally fully present? And also having, having a daughter who is uh, two and a half years old, man, she's really smart. She knows her father. She'll, you know, when she wants my attention, she'll make sure that I am with her. And that's been really good and humbling too. to like, you know, I felt like that was teaching me, hey, yo, you need to like slow down uh, and enjoy life, right? So I would say that is the one thing that really helps me to like um, be, pay attention to the moment, uh, just slow down, be present, because I'm, I'm trying to teach myself that every moment is a blessing. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? You don't have to wait for these crescendo moments to call them victories. There are little victories in every moment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like having this conversation with you is a victory. Like it's it's a big moment for me, but it's a big moment uh, that is little. You know what I mean? I'm not in I'm not I'm not in an auditorium winning an award. It's not that kind of big moment, but this is a a full big moment that it's a it's a quality interaction where we're getting to know each other. Like two souls are getting to know each other, right? Like that's that's big. But it's it's not a sexy moment, right? right? Training my mind to be here in this moment is is healthy for me instead of being caught up in the thousand distractions that are out there. So tuning all that and just being present here for Josh Stamper is, is one practice that's good for my self-care. So you were speaking, now it's Brad Hughes, and he's part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. I need to make sure that you are checking out Dennis Matthews' interview with him. Brad's an amazing guy, and he's also been the, on the Aspire podcast too. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Let's pivot because you talked about stories living in your head. And I know those eventually went on to the pages of, of your book. So will you just share with us a little bit about your journey as an author? And then, of course, just a little synopsis of your book. Yeah, so I'll, I'll hold up the two that I have right here in front of me. My th my my brand new baby is um, is on its way from China. I was informed that how Grizzly found gratitude, my newest book, reached the port of Los Angeles yesterday. Awesome. So here in a week or so, I'll I'll be receiving about six thousand books at my house. But this is my first book. I'm holding in my hand, Bello the Cello, and my second book is my Wild First Day of School. Really, I mean, both books, if you, if you skip through the pages, you will, you will meet little Dennis Matthew. And again, uh, speaking of connecting with students, when, when, when I read Bello the cello to students, and I talk about this little cello who had a hard time finding his own song, his purpose, his gift, I tell students, listen, uh, that's, that's Mr. Matthew. Um, that's my story from when I was in elementary school. Uh, and so, man, students... There is no better way to connect with our kiddos than just being real with them. When, when we portray this persona to our students that we have accomplished and achieved all things, that we are the masters of whatever subject content, and they are here to simply just listen and take notes, there is not a lot of relationship building that happens there. But when you open your heart and say, you know, these are the things that I've struggled, 
and uh, I overcame them. You are building a bridge. You know, it, it causes students to connect with you. And so, Bellow the Cello is is um, all about me overcoming my struggles to like be confident, have overcome low self esteem. Uh, and then my wild first day of school is just a book that talks about do you be your best don't be afraid to take risks again because i was the shy kid that would not try anything new i think over twenty thousand uh, books have been ordered or sold in the last two and a half years since i started this children's author journey and all of that uh was just to get these memories onto paper because i knew that my stories could encourage other children. When students ask me, people ask me, what's your mission as an author? I always say, I wanna to write to the underdog in the classroom. I wanna to write to that child that is a potential, you know, um, bright star, has a lot of glory and a lot of light in him or her waiting to just erupt, but they, for whatever reason, have not blossomed or bloomed. I want my story to come to that child and give them a little nudge that will push them in the right direction. So I write to the underdog in the classroom and that, that, man, I love my teachers. Oh my gosh, I love my teachers. So I, my goal is to take my memories, my stories, and put it in formats that are very relevant to today's classrooms so that our teachers can have lots of curriculum related content when they open my book. That it's not just a fun, quick story, but it's deep and rich in content. And you will definitely get the vibe that a speech pathologist wrote these books because I'm big on um, highly enriched vocabulary. When you read my book, uh, you know, they facilitate a lot of why, how, what, who questions. Big goal of mine is to create conversations with the stories that I write. That kind of gives you a feel for what, you know, what's my philosophy or approach when I, when I sit down to write a story. Yeah. So Dennis, I know you do a lot of speaking and you do a lot of author visits and what other services do you provide to those who are listening? Yeah, author visits are, you know, my man, my big mission is to put books in the hands of children. When I said those 20,000 books have been sold, uh, I want to say around 18,000, maybe even 18,500 of those books are direct bulk distribution to public schools all across this country. Well, the nature of the partnership, you know, the public schools in this country are my number one client. Client, Like, they're the ones that I always deal with. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to educators all day, every day, hundreds across the country. And the nature of my operation is, you know, school districts, schools across the country every year have funds allocated for purchase of books, literacy nights, family engagement night, SCL funds, you name it, music night, art night. The method of my operation is that when I approach schools with my books, the, the, the end result is the school's districts buying my books, using those funds that have been all already set aside and distributing by the hundreds, if not the thousands, to their students. And so the, the plus here is the, the funds that districts allocate for these purposes are what's being used uh, to, uh, especially in light of last year, uh, none of the families at home have to feel the financial burden of having to buy books. You know, there are, there are five children in a, in, a, in, a, in a home and two books are what's being promoted. That's 10 books easily, right? And the home front does not have to worry about buying Mr. Matthews books for their children, right? Tax dollars that are set aside uh, for these services is what's being used. And then my biggest like plus in dealing with schools is because I've set up my operation in a unique way where you know, I own all the rights of my work and my books are printed overseas and things of that nature. I am able to then 
like give our public schools significantly reduced discounted prices on books like for example uh you know bellow the cello or any of my books like if you go to uh amazon or barnes and noble or whatever you are at least looking at paying anywhere from 12 dollars to 20 and then some with shipping and everything when i deal with schools my pricing goes anywhere from five dollars a book to seven eight dollars a book right um and so I am able to, because of my relationships and the trust that I've built with educators across the country, I'm, it's something that I'm very proud of, that I'm able to give hundreds if not thousands of books to students in low socioeconomic communities, in, in communities that are otherwise out of reach, like, like you know, communities not are, that are not in well-off areas or even in the downtown metropolitan areas of, of cities and states, um, you know, towns in, in, in villages and rural communities and towns on mountaintops, right? books are able to get to all of those diverse communities that are sometimes even invisible with with no cost being uh, put on the home front because at the end of the day like just because a, a book is popular on amazon or barnes and noble or whatever it doesn't mean that joe who lives in whatever rural town or jenny who lives in whatever rural town in the state has ever laid eye on that book uh, just because of, you know, bookstores are not out in those rural towns or whatever, you know what I mean? Access is is very limited to a lot of our kiddos in, in our country. And so talking about equity, right? Uh, equitable access, it's very important for me to get books to the children that otherwise wouldn't have access to them via Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in our public schools. I love our teachers, man. Um, some of the hardest working people in this country, right? So any, any, any way that I can be a blessing to them, I'm, I'm all for it. So. so Dennis, for those who are listening that want to get in contact with you or find you in social media, how can they get a hold of you? Facebook, just uh, if you're a friend with Josh, I'm, his, I'm friends with him, uh, Dennis Matthew. You can find me that way on Facebook. Uh, Instagram, my handle is Books by Dennis. Twitter, my handle is Stories by Dennis. My website, which has just been updated, will really give you a good picture of what I do. Educators, I love doing author visits. They're highly engaging. I'm a songwriter too, as you can, Josh can see my guitar right here. So I write my own songs too. My author visits are so all about my read-alouds. I sing a ton of my original songs. They're, they are, they're engaging shows. I have guest appearances on these author visits, virtual, in-person too. Uh, I talk in depth about the writing, the illustrating, the publishing process. So it's a very engaging, enriched experiences, experience for schools. And you'll get a feel for that when you go to my website, which is booksbydennis.com. So Instagram, Books by Dennis. Twitter, Stories by Dennis. My website is booksbydennis.com. And you can contact me through the website. There's a contact form that you can fill out and it'll directly come to my email. And uh, I'm pretty good about following up right away. So um, I'm hoping to hear from educators all across the country. And yeah, Dennis is extremely talented. And yes, he has a guitar in the background. I can show you. Uh, and a djembe. <laughs> yes, all kinds of different musical instruments back there. So make sure that you're reaching out and contacting Dennis. I'll have all of those links in the show notes. If you're interested in connecting, I definitely think you should do that right away. And then Dennis, of course, I'm just so honored to have this conversation with you and connect. It's been great to speak with you in social media, but then to see you face-to-face is another thing. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, brother. It's, it's a great honor. Anytime someone lets me on uh, or allows me to have uh, their platform to kind of share my story, it's, it's a huge deal. Man, you've been doing this podcast for three years plus now. 
Thank you so much for giving voice to so many educators in this country. Big thanks to you, man. I appreciate you.